0: And um, tonight's reading is from Psalm 3,
1: which is page 544 in the few Bibles. O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, In our prayers for others tonight, we're going to focus on our young people and their challenges over the summer months, and for all of us, that God will continue to re-inspire us. Heavenly Father, as we come to you at the end of a busy day, tempted to think about tomorrow or the week ahead, we pray that you will calm our hearts so that we will be still before you. Lord, we present our prayers, aware that you know our requests before we ask them and have plans and purposes for us and those we love in this holiday season and beyond. We ask your blessing on the thousands of young people right now worshipping and serving you in the Summer Madness Campus at Glenarm. As they celebrate communion together tonight, may they know the anointing of your Holy Spirit on their lives as their summer witness begins we pray for much more than a few good days together provoke them to look for and answer your challenge on their lives and lord as these young people and our bloomfield young people begin to plan and prepare for summer outreaches and camps we ask that you would be in the center of every team in its games worship bible study and group times Bless these teams with strong leadership which focuses on you, with Jesus-based conversations and relationships which are full of integrity, grace and patience. And Lord, we also think of the teams which will serve in the walkway this summer and ask for your Holy Spirit to be at work here too in the ways we serve and bless the walkway staff, parents and children. We pray you'd keep our young people safe wherever they are and encourage them in their faith as they serve you. And Father, as we enter this holiday season, allow us to experience a recreation of our physical, emotional, and spiritual lives as we spend precious time in families and with friends. May our conversations be encouraging and inspiring. May we gladden each other's hearts and yours. And finally, Lord, Lord, We pray that as part of your family here in Bloomfield, our attitudes and actions will clearly reflect your heart of love for those around us. May we be peacemakers and encouragers, bringing the light of your risen Son, Jesus, into dark places. Challenge, provoke, and use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Good evening and welcome to to Bloomfield tonight. Can I encourage you to turn uh, back with me to Psalm 3 tonight? Uh, You'll find it on page 543 uh, of the, the Pew Bibles. And as you're looking up that passage in Psalm 3, let me just pray for us tonight. Father, we thank you for Psalm 1 that reminded us that blessed is the man or woman who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Father, we thank you for the blessing it has been to gather with your people this morning and again tonight. And we pray, Father, that as we meditate on your word, that, Lord, you will help us to understand it, that you'll help us to apply it to our lives. But more importantly, Father, it will give us a bigger grasp of who you are and all that you do for your people, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So please keep that psalm open in front of you tonight. The thing about this psalm that we're coming in psalm, third psalm, in in book one of the Psalter, is that it is different, isn't it? Do you notice that? From what's in front of you, it's different from Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 for these three reasons. So follow with me. The first is it tells you who composed it. It is a Psalm of David. See that little writing at the very top just under Psalm 1? It says a Psalm of David. The others didn't do that, did they? You see it there in Psalm 2 and 3, they're blank. Second thing is it was written at a particular time. And that gives us some insight then into what is written and why it is written. It was written at a particular time in David's life. It tells us very clearly when he fled from his son Absalom. The third thing you'll notice about this psalm, which is different from Psalm 1 and 2, and it wasn't read, but that's okay, is that it uses this little phrase called Salah. Do you see it? After verse 2, after verse 4, and at the end of verse 8. And there's a bit of debate over what Salah means. Some think it's a musical notation. Others think it's a time for pausing or reflecting after you finish those verses, after verse 2, verse 4, and then verse 8. And be ready for this. Tonight, as we come and break this down into three sections, we will have a Salah moment, a time to reflect. And when we do that, it won't be very long, but just take, take a moment just to think about the verses that we do. Um, And think about the implications of them when we salah, and I'll give us a moment to do that. But before we delve into this psalm tonight, let me tell you about this guy. Here he is up on the board. This is, anyone know who he is? Hands up. No? Okay. That's it. Well done, Mark. Right? His name is Raymond Charles Jack Lamontan. Right? He was born on the 18th of June, 1973, in New Hampshire in the United States, In 2004, he had a hit single with a tune and words that went like this. Raymond Charles, brilliant song, brilliant singer. But you pick up on his lyrics, particularly the start of it, where he says this, and it's up on the board, I think. Trouble, trouble, trouble. It's been dogging my soul. Worry, worry, worry. It just won't leave my mind alone. And if you have lived on this planet for any length of time, you will know that trouble comes into our lives, that worry can consume us. And a song like La Montagne's really does resonate and connect with people because all of us are looking for ways in order to cope, cope, cope with trouble or worry in times, be they at home, at work, and in the future. Montan said he'd been saved by a woman. I'm sure many lads here have been saved by a woman at some stage. But where do we go really with trouble and worries? Where do you take it to? Because here tonight, as we come, the question is this Does God's Word have anything to say to the likes of Raymond Lamontan, who's troubled and worried? Does God's Word have anything to say to those of us who, even tonight, may be in this room and you are troubled, worried? Does God's Word have anything to say? Because Psalm 3 has much to say to us tonight. Because in this psalm, we have in verse 1 and 2, what I've called the crisis. Where David writes, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me. David is facing enemies. He is under pressure, surrounded by danger. People are mouthing off to him. What has happened here? Why is he in this crisis, this situation? Well, if you get time over the next week, go back into 2 Samuel and chapters 15 to 17, where you'll find the context for this psalm. And let me just give a quick summary of of those two chapters. David is in a messed up family. They're very, if you want to put a modern term on, they're very dysfunctional, the way they operate. And into this family, King David's son, Absalom, has created an uprising or coup on his father, David. Absalom has won over the hearts of the people, particularly in the royal palace. And as a result, David has to flee his own palace at Jerusalem because of the threat on his life by his own flesh and blood. 2 Samuel portrays David fleeing through the countryside. His head is covered. He's barefooted and he is weeping. This is the king of Israel. The people who meet him along the way are upset to see their king in such a state. So imagine what it must have been like for David the personal hurt, the grief of your own flesh and blood, your own son turning on you, betraying you, the disloyalty of those in the royal palace. Perhaps he's asking, Where did this all go wrong? Where is God in this? Where's the Lord doing? Am I going to survive this? And to make matters worse for David, we learn in 2 Samuel of a confrontation that he has with this man called Shemiah, the son of Gerah. And Gira meets him, and guess what he does? He pelt stones at him, and he says this to him. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you have shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. And if you were David hearing this in the midst of your son uprooting you and kicking you out, as it were, you could understand how he might start to think like this, couldn't you? Is God repaying me for things that I've done wrong? Is trouble happening because I've done something wrong in the past? And folks, there's probably people here today who have often thought like that trouble or worries come in. What have I done? Has something to deserve this? Am I being punished for my sins or my wrongdoing of the past? This is the crisis that David faces himself. He's betrayed, temporarily dethroned, fleeing from his son, facing accusations, and surely worried about his life and its future. It is trouble, trouble, trouble. And you need to absorb David's situation for a moment. It's sheer heartache. It's uncertain. It's painful. And maybe tonight, you understand that. Maybe you're here tonight and you perfectly understand the trouble, 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 the worry, 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 overwhelmed, pressurised, isolated, doubting, despairing because of relationship circumstances or life, or life situations. Maybe you're saying you, it is where I'm at too. But where do you go with these feelings and circumstances? You may be thinking, can, can, can God really rescue me? Or do I deserve this? Am I beyond the pale, as it were, beyond rescue, just like verse 2 is saying? Let me ask you tonight, what troubles are you facing? How are you thinking about God? What are you believing about him at this moment in time? Salah. Let's take a moment just to reflect on those two verses. And this takes us to verses 3 and 4 where we see here in Psalm 3 what David does or reacts or responds. The thing that David does is remind himself of who God is and what he is like. And that can often be the hardest thing to do, can't it, in the midst of troubles and crisis, reminding ourselves who is God and what he is like. And David here in verses 3 and 4 holds on to four things about God, or that God can do in the turmoil of his life. Do you see how he begins? But you, O Lord, are my shield. Verse 3. A shield was often used for protection, wasn't it? It surrounded the individual at war sometimes, if you got those circular ones. But generally, it was to protect, and it keeps you safe. It protects you, and God here is... David is using the imagery of God being his shield, his protector. Do you remember that very famous psalm that's often read in Psalm 139, where it says this in verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. He is that shield, that protector. And David reminds himself, holds on to the fact, God, you're my shield in the midst of this crisis. In the midst of these troubles and worries, you are my shield. That's the first thing he does. And then in verse 3, he continues and he says, Lord, you bestow glory on me. How applicable is that to David's situation when you think David temporarily has lost his kingdom? Not much glory there. He is temporarily losing his throne. His power and authority have been undermined. The things that maybe he held on to. It has all been stripped away. His glory is gone. He is barefooted, weeping through the countryside, the king of the country. And here he is, trouble has come. His glory disappears. And you know something? When you face life's troubles and situations, they can often feel like a stripping away, can't they? A stripping away of whether it's loved ones whether it's finances, whether it's change in circumstances, it feels like they're stripping away things of your life. Yet God is the one who bestows glory here on David. God is enough for David. God is all that he needs. God is the one who gives him glory, identity as it were. And here David reminds himself that God is his shield, that God is his glory that he bestows glory when other things are stripped back, stripped away. And then thirdly, you see this lovely little imagery that God is the lifter of my head. When you're downcast or disheartened, beaten down by life situations, troubles and worries, it is a head-down moment, isn't it? And here David reminds himself that God is the one who lifts your head or your chin. Folks, if if you're in a troubled spot, that is a beautiful imagery, isn't it? Or maybe this week you'll meet somebody and you go, you know what, they're worrying, they're troubled. What about this reminder that God is the lifter of one's head? It is a picture, isn't it, of the parent-child relationship, of when a father or mother sees their young child crying. And what do they do? They come and they lift their chin up. And what happens then? They look towards them, don't they? And it's the same imagery here, the same picture, that God is the one who lifts our head. And where do we look to? Up to him. He's the one that sustains, keeps us. It is that beautiful imagery of the lifter of one's head. And then in verse four, we see fourthly that God answers our prayers. When trouble comes, it can be difficult to pray, can't it? We're consumed in our minds and our thoughts with other things. And so often we run away from prayer and to other things of trying to work it out. And David says here in verse 3, or chapter in verse 4, he says, To the Lord I cried aloud. Sometimes that's the only thing you can do, isn't it? In the midst of troubles and worries. Crying out to the Lord. I cried out to him for this situation, for this relationship for this circumstance, and that's what David does, and he says then, and he answers me from his holy hill, Salah. God answers David. Folks, when we pray, God may not always answer in our timing or in the way that we expected or want, but God is a God who answers prayer from his people. And that's what David reminds himself of here. James Montgomery Boyce wisely said about the prayer answering God, he said this, Though not always at once, and not always as we wish, but God is an answerer of prayers. David brings his feelings and troubles to God, and God is not found wanting. David holds on to the reality that, prayer, that God is a prayer answering God. What are your troubles tonight? What are your worries? What have you crying out to the Lord about? David reminds us this this evening, he answers prayer. Keep praying to him. Keep repeating those prayers of crying out for your family, for your friends, for your situation, for your work, for the colleagues, whatever it is. keep, Keep asking of God. Because David reminds us here, he answers prayer. It may not be at once. It may not be in the way that you think it is. But he answers prayer. And the question is, when we come to these four facets of who God is and what he can do, the question is, is this the God you know? Is this the God who protects, shields you, who is your glory, who is the lifter of your head, who answers prayer whether it's the God you know, if you're a Christian tonight, this is the God we have. This is the God that exists for his people, loves his people, who shields them, gives them glory, lifts their head, and answers prayer. The question I have with this, and it's for my own life as well, is why is it that we're so reluctant to bring God our circumstances, our pressures to him, our troubles and worries Are we so self-reliant, so self-sufficient? I'll sort this out. I'll get through this. Where we say in our hearts and lives, I'll rebuild or sustain my own glory. I'm the one who builds it up. Am I dependent on myself? And ultimately, we try to be God. Is that why Our, our view of who God is will shape our relationship and our prayer life with him? How do we come to know who this God is? By meditating on his word. David reminded himself, held on to who God was in this verses, verses three to four. And this is the very same way that we we need to shape our thinking, our hearts, our lives with God's word so that we've a correct understanding of who he is. That he is the one who shields, the one who gives glory, the one who will lift your head, the one who answers your prayer. Salah. Let's take a moment just to reflect. On those verses before we look at the final few verses in verses five to eight, the third and final section of. Psalm 3 takes us to verses 5 to 8. And here, David outlines some results or outcomes from understanding who God is and what he can do. And the first one you see is in verse 5. He says this, I lie down and sleep, and I wake again. Have you ever been troubled? Worried? Is that normal? I I did an exam a couple of years ago and it was only GCSEs um, and and I had a panic attack that I'd forgotten something in the middle of the exam. I couldn't even sleep after it. And for the vast majority of us to lie down and sleep and wake again, it's not normal. And the reason that David does this is because he says there is peace, isn't there? There's a peace here that seems to transcend David's life and he says here at the end of verse 4, he says, because the Lord sustains me. I don't know about you, but if I had little Stephen, my son, pursuing me, running through the countryside, no army anymore, no protection, he's bad enough in a sword fight, all right? But if I had him after me, I don't think I'd, wait, I'd sleep and lie down and have a comfortable night. And yet, David, this is what he says, I wake, I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. If you have been troubled and worried in life, even today or in the future down, down the road, generally it's is the opposite effect, isn't it? Where your mind and your thoughts are racing through. How am I going to figure out this? How am I going to work out this problem or trouble that I have? Where sleep is interrupted, where peace is a utopia, really. And why does David have it? Why does David have this peace where he can lie down, sleep, and wake again? Because he realizes that God is his sustainer. It is a wonderful thing to be dwelling on the fact that God sustains our lives. David must have believed, if I die, I'll be with the Lord. If he sustains me, I'll continue to serve him. And so he lies down and sleeps and wakes again, believing that God will keep him. Folks, when our health, when our family, when our work, every situation in life is sustained by God. I had, uh, at the start of April, uh, a touch of sciatica. I I don't think I'll do well with sickness when I get older. But you know what one thing it taught me? It said this to me, I take for granted my health, and I take for granted the fact that God sustains me on a daily basis and gives me... Plenty of energy, plenty of health on a normal basis. And when the sciatica hit me, I was going, the Lord sustains me. He still sustains me through it, but I had a a greater understanding that he keeps most of us on a daily basis, and we take it for granted. And here, David, in the midst of troubles and worries, it becomes more sharp into focus that God sustains our lives, whether it's our health, our family, our work lives. And true peace is only found in resting in the security of who God is as our sustainer. But then in verse 6, we see that there is, David says, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up on every side. The uncertainty brings fear, doesn't it? What will happen? What's going to occur? And David puts here, the fear is taken the over-anxiety, the over-worry is removed because if God is my sustainer, what have I to worry about? If he keeps me, what is there to fear? And then lastly in verse 7, David calls on God to arise, O Lord, deliver me by dealing with his enemies. David asks God to strike his enemies on the jaw, to break their teeth, Pretty gruesome. I was gonna get a picture of, of a pair of broken teeth, and then I go, it's a bit ugly, isn't it? Breaking teeth. But it's a bit gross as well. And this is the language he calls on God, Arise, O Lord. Why does he mention this part of the body? The jaw and the teeth? Why is it so graphic and brutal in dealing with David's enemies? Could it be that back in chapter two in verse two, David's enemies claimed there was no salvation for him in God? David, you're beyond the pale. God won't rescue a lad like you. God will not rescue. And the question is this, who decides that? Can God be controlled like that? Ultimately, David's enemies are telling, telling God what to do. Telling things about him that are probably untrue. God can rescue anybody. David's enemies are telling lies about God. And about this, David calls on God to silence them by breaking their jaw, their teeth, their very mouths, which utter these lies in the first place. So David calls on the Lord to deal with these lies, to deal with these enemies. And then lastly, in verse 8, they are to be silenced because from the Lord comes deliverance. Nobody controls who God is or how he acts to bring salvation. God's plans of deliverance are never controlled by others. And we see that wonderfully worked out, don't we, in the life and mission and salvation obtained by Jesus. Herod couldn't kill the baby Jesus. The Pharisees dwarted all their plans in order to kill him, thinking we'll get rid of him. Instead, he was killed because of the purpose and will of God. The Roman soldiers, even though they killed Jesus, he rose again three days later. Not even death and sin could defeat God's purposes in bringing about salvation. Why? Because with the Lord, salvation comes. Deliverance comes from him because it was earned by Christ's death and resurrection and ascension. Nobody has a copyright on God's salvation. Nobody dictates to God who will benefit or not from his deliverance. And David reminds himself, from the Lord comes deliverance. What a wonderful understanding. Nobody is beyond the pale. Nobody is beyond rescue of God. Even the troubles of our lives, the worries of our life will make us think, I can't be rescued from this. But the Lord says here, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Salah. Let's take a moment to reflect before we conclude in this passage. To finish then. Charles Hatton Spurgeon said the following It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. Let me repeat that again. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. What do we learn from Psalm 3 tonight? Trouble, trouble, trouble. Worry, worry, worry. It's inevitable. We live in a broken world. And there may be people here tonight who are, know that very sharply. This week, this month, this year, trouble and worry may come in. You will fea- meet people tomorrow who are struggling. What difference does Psalm 3 make? Psalm 3 encourages us that this lie doesn't have to be true because Psalm 3 encourages us in the crisis to remember for ourselves and to hold on to who God is and what he does. He is our shield, the bestower of glory when everything else is stripped away, the lifter of our heads, the God who hears our prayers, the God who brings deliverance and salvation. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall death? No. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ because salvation comes from the Lord. Folks, the problem with this is it leads us back to Psalm 1 where we forget it. And that's why I want to encourage you tonight meditate on this, chew it over meditate on it so it infiltrates your mind and your heart and your attitude so you begin to think this is the way God is this is the way he acts so that he will be these things when trouble comes holding on to him our Lord and God let me pray for us as we continue God, we thank you for your word to us tonight. We thank you for this psalm. And Father, we confess tonight that when trouble and worry come into our lives, Father, our thinking and our understanding and our belief is so often skewed. So often we think we have to be our own saviors, the one who figures this all out, the one who frets and worries and yet, Lord, you remind us tonight that you are our shield. You are the one who bestows glory, who is the lifter of our heads, the one who answers prayer. Father, would you help us to hold on to these realities about yourself? Help us to experience them in the midst of our troubles and worries, to cry aloud to you, that, Lord, we may lie down and sleep and wake because we believe that you're the sustainer and giver of our lives. Help us with those anxious thoughts, those fearful things, and help us, Lord, we pray, to continually rejoice in the fact that salvation and deliverance comes from you. Father, tonight we pray, may your word impact our thinking and our heart so that during this week, during these months ahead, when trouble and worries come, that will hold on to you, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.